Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Get Out A Wrap. Today I am talking with Phil Kitchen. Phil has got over 30 years experience in the contact centre industry. He is one of the directors and founders of Contact Centre Panel. We get to hear about his journey, about the work of Contact Centre Panel and just his thoughts on the industry as a whole. Um, This is the first one using Zoom which is great for being able to get guests on um, a bit more easily. But as all of you are now experienced Zoomers, you'll know that sometimes there are some internet issues. There's a couple of little glitches in there, but come on. Just go through those. They're 10 seconds. Um, so, yeah, good chat. Phil's a great guy, and hopefully you will enjoy this. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, today I'm with Phil Kitchen, who is director at Contact Centre Panel. Uh, you wouldn't have heard because we were just chatting before hitting record about uh, football. Maybe there's a separate podcast that we can <laughs> do all, all about that. Tottenham and Sheffield Wednesday. There's no comparison, really. True, <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin. True. Phil, thanks very much for joining me. It's um, been wanting to talk to you for a while we had a, a couple of technology failed attempts last year so I really appreciate your your patience and this is the first one I'm doing on on zoom so um thanks very much for joining no problem at all no thank you thanks for inviting me Martin it's very very kind of you and it's good to be chatting so um as is often the way and people really seem to like this part um just interested in your you sort of personally, so you're you're a director at Contact Centre Panel, and we can get on to who and what Contact Centre Panel are and do in a sec. But just for you personally, what what's been your kind of um, story, your journey in contact centres? Yeah, well, I guess I guess like like probably lots of us uh, that are out there in sort of contact centre land, I sort of stumbled into it thirty odd years ago, marketeer by trade. Um, was made redundant uh, and a friend of mine at the time was running a a telemarketing company here in Sheffield uh, and needed to uh, I guess diversify was um, highly involved in the world of publishing from a telemarketing perspective needed to diversify asked me to join him you know thought to myself at the time well I'm going to give this probably a couple of months and then I'll dip back into the world of marketing um you know 17 years later i was still working for him uh you know and and then and then we um we ventured out and we set up our own business which was a business called voice uh which was uh which grew to be a 750 seat two site uh sheffield based contact center uh which uh was very interesting very challenging uh we were an outbound provider so um you know, con- contracts were limited. Um, you know, clients were marginally fickle with respect to increasing or decreasing headcount. So it was it was challenging. And then in the world of outbound, you know, you know, it's not like customer service. You've got challenges in terms of attrition and retention and agents because it's sales. It's hard work. You know, yeah. demanding. You've got to hit the results. Um, so we sold that business in 2015. We sold it to Capita. Capita came along, um, I guess, to a degree. They'd sold the dream to some of their clients that they could deliver outbound. So they could mm. do one of two things. They could either, um, you know, develop that internally, um, 
which would have been a big challenge and would have taken them a quite a long time for them to get up to competences, competency, or they could go out and buy someone, you know, and we were on that list. Um, and uh, within six weeks, we'd sold the business. Wow. <laughs> which was rapid, to put it yeah. mildly. Yeah. Um, but fascinating, absolutely fascinating from my personal perspective, getting involved in, embroiled in the sale of a business was was um you know enlightening i guess um uh, and and that was it i i decided that i didn't want to work for capita we'd you know run our own business we'd uh you know made our own decisions yeah. um you know and and away i went you know left on the day we sold it uh, and needed something to do <laughs> so that was it you know had to had to uh had to set up a new business and and literally set up ccp um you know so it was formed on the day that you know, on the day that um, essentially that I exited the relationship with, with Capita and away we went. So you no, no kind of break in between, just straight into setting up. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I guess, I guess to a degree I was a tad jaded with the industry, having, having had, you know, 20 odd years. And um, I, I genuinely considered moving away from the industry. Hmm. Um, and a good friend of mine who's also my personal accountant said oh Phil you know you've got you know you've got extensive experience you've got um, you know I don't really like the phrase black black book but you've got a great black black book you know Uh, he was kind enough to say that you know I've got a great reputation in the market you know he said stay within the industry just think of something (laughs) that relates to the world of contact centers and then it just occurred to me that it's a, a you know a broad murky world, and we'll t- talk a bit more, no doubt, about the world of contact centres. But you know, it's a broad world. You know, there are hundreds of different types of contact centre, location-wise. You know, geography, location, commercial model, function, um, and and you know, I mean, it's especially now we're in these interesting times. It's a it's a changing space. It's a yeah. dynamic space. So I felt that it was difficult for clients to make the right decision. You know, at Voice, we were guilty of trying to crowbar customer service operations into what essentially was an outbound provider. Yeah. And we'd do an okay job, don't get me wrong, but yeah. you know, in the world, as you know, there are mm. people that are far better placed, or were at the time, far better placed to deliver customer service. And then I guess the other thing for me was that we were approached when I owned voice by lots of introducers that promised us the world. Yeah. And, and when they delivered, they didn't really deliver projects that were applicable to us. And in my humble opinion, all the, all the good stuff was going to their favorite outsourcer that was probably paying them the highest commission. Yeah, of course. How much of that do you think is down to naturally they're trying to, they're trying to sell their, they're trying to sell their service, but when they're dealing with people like yourselves, um, yourself rather, um, you know, why aren't they just a bit more open? What, what? I think it's a really, really good question. I think the the key driver is commission, Mm. you know, so if you're looking at an introducer and we, we've developed a fantastic network now of introducers, primarily because we're doing the right thing for the client, you know, so, an introducer puts the neck on the line when they are suggesting to that client to use CCP. Yeah. You know, they're putting the reputation on the line. Whereas, um, you know, and I think that's vitally important, you know, I'm probably similar to you, you know, we've built our reputations over the years and, you know, there is no way that I would want to suggest to, you know, any of my sort yeah. of clients, you know, to use, um, you know, the wrong type of contact center. So, 
you know, I think I think that's the critical thing. And um, you know, and on the back of that, from an introducer's perspective, you know, we get longevity because we're finding we're finding their clients the right partner. Therefore, kudos yeah. for the introducer's great, and the longevity between the relationship, the client and the outsourcer is fantastic. You know, yeah. and so it should be. You know? Yeah. So let's contact center panel then for those. There might be there still might be people that don't know exactly what it is you guys do how would you summarize that yeah (laughs) well um in its simplest form and i don't really like this phrase and i've already used it it's the word bro it's bro it's a brokerage yeah that's its simplest form essentially what we do is help clients find the wrong right contact center partner Mm. what we've done is developed a fantastic network so we've got over a hundred outsourcers of all different shapes and sizes from the you know, the big BPOs right the way through to the small one-man one man bands, yeah. all audited and profiled. So, again, you know, uh, I use this phrase quite a lot, but we're a safe pair of hands for our clients in this, you know, in this sort of murky world of contact centres or potentially murky world of contact centres. So with that safe pair of hands, and essentially what we do is we help clients find the right partner. Yeah. We, do, we do a lot more than that now because we've got a partnership development team. So we also support the client upon transition or setup or go live so you know as i say we're more than a broker um and we've got additional services but but essentially we give the client all the tools that allows them to make the right decision so we give them the tools in terms of scoring matrix we give them the tools in terms of expertise so um you know we've got some we've got some great people that are um, experts in particular vertical markets so if clients need that support we will give them that support and we essentially do that within reason. We do it free of charge because we want the client to have a, you know, a fantastic experience and ultimately, um, you know, select the right partner. And ultimately that relationship has to have longevity. So we do everything we can to ensure that's the case. Um, you know, and, and the business started off um, working with what I called at the time unsophisticated SMEs, mm. which we still you know that market's very big and it's very broad um you know but we now work with some fantastic blue chip brands you know um for a whole range of different reasons one we're a safe pair of hands secondly as i say it's a big old murky market our service is free of charge for the clients um and and we add value we add value to that whole process of trying to find the right partner it's um you know so it's really simple model really but with your with your own personal experience and then with um where you sit now kind of you must this i'm interested to find out about um how you've seen contact centers develop even with the various you know the variances that you get where some are progressive some seem like they're operating in a time warp 20 years ago (laughs) and then you have a you have a group in the middle but nonetheless everyone's trying to do their their best right how how have you seen how contact centres are perceived often by, let's say, the HQs of, of brands where they've been looked at as a, as a cost centre. And even last night I was watching a, a documentary and it was about a new CEO who'd taken over a hotel brand and he talked about there was an empty floor and it used to be a contact centre and it was an award-winning contact centre. And he went, first thing I did was get rid of the contact centre because it was too costly. Yet you've also got people like, um, I think I read 
before the current crisis that Gucci were staffing up contact centres to be revenue generators of housed by fashion experts who would be offering personal shopping services like over the phone. So in your in your kind of experience and where you see yourself, where you sit now, looking over all these different contact centres, how have how have you seen them evolve or how has the perception of them changed or has it changed? Well, I, I think I think you 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 mentioned one thing right at the start is that you know it's very diverse, you know. Yeah. So we have got, you know, and I, and I think you know just to touch on on I guess to touch on the present environment, I think um, you know con- contact centres have have come up to the mark. You know, it, yeah. it used to be a maligned industry. You know, to work as an agent with a contact centre used to be, you know, upon. Um, and I ge- genuinely think that um, you know the world of contact centres has have responded extremely well to the to the current situation. You know, when when the government are talking about you know um, in terms of track and trace, you know, uh, employing eighteen thousand people, you know that that's in the contact centre environment. You know, yeah. so you know, I think that's fantastic that we've managed to do that as a, as a business and as an industry. Plus, to a degree, a driving innovation and change does concern me a little bit with our clients. Uh, some of um, incumbent contact centres that they work with, that that hasn't been delivered. You know, it's been an operational um, relationship rather than a strategic relationship. Mm. You know, and I think the finding with respect to progressive clients is progressive clients are seeing, you know, um, most certainly customer service. I mean, sales speaks for itself, doesn't it, in terms of being a revenue but customer service, you know, and again, I come back to the present situation because I think it's been very challenging for clients, you know, uh, in terms of delivering customer service. And I think to a degree, you know, um, COVID's been a bit of an excuse for some clients in terms of that delivery. And I think that will change dramatically when we come out of this situation, which clearly we will do, you know. But I think what we've seen is. And, and not 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 all contact centres like this, and not all relationships with clients are like this. But we've definitely seen clients driving change. And I've been I've been shocked, I guess, with respect to some of the relationships those clients have had, and the reason why they're looking at you know a changing provider. Um, you know, so I think I think dry, clients driving change. But we all know the stats. The stats say that you know costs you, you know, whatever it costs you, three times the amount to acquire a new as it does to, you know, service a happy customer. So, you know, that it just does seem ridiculous that, you know, that um that that brands are not supporting um effective customer service to retain those customers. Mm. Um, yeah. Know. And how do you um has have there been new challenges now as a result of the corona crisis i mean and how have you seen both your the companies you work with and also the clients kind of adapt in the moment yeah well i, th- I think um you know i think i think as a, as a general comment it's going to radically affect our industry there's absolutely no doubt about that you know um 
you know, clearly what we found within our network is that, you know, that um, I think, I think generally back to the point that the whole industry has responded very positively to, to the, to the crisis and, you know, the implementation of homeworking, you know, I think um, clearly we've responded positively to that. But what I would say about that is that we all know there were challenges prior to, prior to coronavirus COVID with respect to homeworking. Those challenges haven't gone away. They still exist, you know, so I don't think we should ever lose sight of that. But, you know, homeworking isn't the, you know, it isn't the, you know, the, the great white hope. Um, but I, I do think it will, you know, I do think this will have dramatic, this will dramatically affect the, the way that we operate. And I think what we've found is that, you know, we've got the ability to, you know, and we do talk to our network. We talk to our network right at the start, and the network were, yeah, no, it's great, it's fantastic. You know, let's not worry about it. We're all working from home, and the agents are loving it. They think it's brilliant, and productivity's gone up. And and now what we're finding, um, and you, you'll have seen, you know, there's been various posts, including one by Steve Sullivan recently on 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 LinkedIn, you know, saying that you know that um, that honeymoon period you know is slowly um you know people are, are you know reality i guess is setting in yeah. uh, that um you know and we all know we 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 work in this very sociable environment the world of contact centers is very sociable so quite clearly working from home is not going to be for everybody yeah you know so yeah. and i think the other thing that kind of we can't overlook because with that with that sense of the honeymoon period coming or, or dissipating I think some of it is also down to once you've once you've finished work, you can't. There's not actually anywhere you can go. Your normal routines, whether it was the gym, other other clubs, something like that, that that restriction then has a, a washover effect on on where you're working, and if your 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 often living space becomes multi-purpose, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. It, it does, and, and you know, you know, it, it's been a knee-jerk reaction. There's absolutely no doubt about that. We've been forced into, you know, delivering a homeworking solution. Yeah. And as I say, I think the majority, most certainly the majority of our network, have delivered it very, very well and very efficiently. I think some of the clients have, you know, have struggled. I think, you know, what, 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 um, you know, there, there's been a probably a, in terms of contingency. I think the world of outsourcing is prepared and to a degree were prepared for this type and can react really quickly of course they can and they need to because you know if they don't commercially they're not going to survive so they know that you know you've got to move your you know your 600 seats to a home working environment very quickly else commercially you know you're just not going to survive yeah um you know and so they've had to react and adapt fast and but i do think you know i do think you know, as I said right at the start with respect to the homeworking discussion, that, you know, those challenges are not going to go away. You know, what we've tried to do as a business is support our network in trying to address what those challenges are, whether it be well-being, whether it be data security. You know, um, again, a good, a good friend and a colleague of ours, as John Greenwood, mentioned to me that, you know, in terms of, in terms of data breach, you know, it's 243 days. I think it was a, a Verizon report which said that, you know, it takes about 243 days before, you know, essentially a, a data breach becomes apparent. You know, so I think... What, until it's discovered? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So again, um, you know, we've just got to bear in mind that all these challenges and the reasons why we weren't embracing homeworking at the start are still there. You know, those challenges around data, around compliance, around well-being, you know, around your environment that you're sitting in are not, are not going away. You mm. know? And, you know, I was, I was marginally shocked the other day when I used telephone banking and I found that, you know, uh, with a major bank, it was a, a homeworking situation. And, you know, I'm sure they'll tell everybody that our data is secure, but you know, how, how do we know that, you know, someone wasn't hovering over their shoulder, taking a picture of, you know, my personal information, you know, that, you know, do, I you do, find do you think with that in mind then that it seems to me there's been various stages in, in this current um, crisis. And the first one was just kind of deploy, get deploy and minimize any gap in, in, in activity. Now that people are up and running, um, whether it's through um, quality monitoring, quality assurance, my kind of world, and um, but from a like data protection, information security point of view, do you see, or from your network, are you seeing them now going, right, okay, we've got everyone home, we're working, now let's go back in and just gain that, maybe have a bit more of an in-depth look to gain that reassurance that, to your point, people are in the right environment and are being just as security conscious as they were within a physical building. Yeah. And I think, um, I think again, back, back to your point right at the start when you were talking about, you know, I guess, you know, the industry, I think, I think some of our network um, are, are wise enough to realize that this is something that's going to be coming over the, you know, whether it's the acquiring banks, you know, looking at their merchants who are using contact centers to deliver that customer service, you know, so some of, some of those, some of those uh, outsources are clearly being proactive. You know, they, 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 they've, they've got, as you rightly say, they've got that honeymoon period out of the way. Now they're thinking to themselves, actually, you know, if we're going to keep and retain that particular client, we've got to do something about this, whether it be from a security perspective or a quality compliance, you know, the well-being of our staff. Because this is not going to go away. You know, we, we you know, it's the, the, the very fact that the majority of our, so, so if, if, if the physical contact centres are reopening, they are, they are reopening at a third capacity. Yeah. You know. So they've got to do something on behalf of their clients. They've got to do something and their clients therefore need to be reassured that, you know, the outsourcers taking, making every measure, taking every step to ensure that whether it be data security or well-being or whatever it might be, you know, and we've seen one or two, you know, articles in the press, haven't we, about contact centers, you know, not delivering, you know, um, you know, the, the appropriate social space and all that sort of stuff. So, I think the um, the forward thinking contact centres, the forward thinking outsourcers, are doing something about it now, and are probably we're probably ahead of the curve anyway. To be fair, yeah, there are some that you know, clearly are still firefighting. There's no doubt about that, you know. But but I think um, you know what we've been trying to do as a business is just give them every every tool that um, you know allows them to you know ensure that they retain their clients and ultimately you know, win new clients, you yeah. know, um, 
you know, and we're, what we're doing, we're, 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 we've taken our audit process a stage further. So as I mentioned, you know, John, John Greenwood is, you know, Mr. PCI and payments. He wrote all the, you know, he wrote all the, the legislation documentation with respect to that. So, um, you know, and John's part of our team. So we give, we give our outsourcers the ability to tap into John's knowledge to make sure that they're fit for purpose when, you know, their clients or prospective clients are asking the right, right questions, you know. So, um, um, so yeah, so, you know, the, the world's having to move fairly quickly, I think, isn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if there were more articles written about the majority of our, of our reality, which is a super creative, friendly, agile industry that um, has responded, you know, let's be honest, vast majority in, in an exceptional way through that kind of ingenuity and endeavour that has kept us in loving this industry for so long. Yeah. It all seems to be there's a, let's focus on something something negative doesn't it I, I totally agree you know we uh, you know that that very the very fact that you know when when the government talks about 18,000 work, workers being deployed for track and trace you know they don't use the word contact center workers no why, why not you know that's what they are fundamentally that's what they are these outsourced operations you know are delivering um you know Undoubtedly, with a few hiccups, but that can be expected when you're having yeah, to deploy vast numbers of people. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, of course, what happens is that you know um, the industry gets vilified by one article that appears in the press about one particular contact centre that you know, you know, has um, approached things in a slightly different way. You know, and rather than celebrating what's actually being achieved here. Um, which is absolutely what we should be doing. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. How does, um, how is this current sort of situation, has it given you any pause for thought around what this means for onshore versus offshore? Was that changing anyway prior to this or? <clears throat> I, well, we, we were finding the answer was, was, was yes. So, you know, for, for example, we, we've just been in the process and we, we, we concluded that process um, prior to COVID. We, we helped a client move from a primarily a voice-based operation, voice and email-based operation out of India, and that's been relocated to South Africa. Um, you know, there were, there were some concerns around India and the ability to div- deliver voice, you know. Um, so that was one of the, the reasons for doing that. And we were definitely finding a shift, but both ways, by the way. So, you know, again, um, we we helped, uh, you know, uh, um, a home food, I call them a home food stroke recipe business, moved from the UK to South Africa, and and it's been tremendously effective and efficient, you know, in terms of the outsourcer that was selected and the ability of that outsourcer again in these turbulent times to you know, to, to help them um, deliver the highest level of customer service and expand. And, and by the way, you know, South Africa has still had, had its problems as has yeah. India. But I think, you know, what, what, what we will find, um, and I, I guess clients are already, you know, strategically looking at these relationships that they've got. So we were definitely finding the shift. We were finding the shift both ways, though, I would say, dependent upon the circumstance. So, you know, we were moving or we were helping um, you know, sales-based clients set up operations in South Africa. 
you know, and there's, there's lots of positives with respect to South Africa in terms of the time zone and the beams and, the, you know, the cost and all those yeah. sorts of things. But, you know, we all know that, that people sometimes overlook, you know, the cost of delivery and are sort of masked by the underlying cost per hour. Um, you know, but, um, but I genuinely think what we will find um, is that, you know, uh, organisations will be looking at their their offshore strategy. Will be looking at you know their dependence upon maybe one or two outsourcers to deliver several thousand heads. You know, in one particular location. So that sort of point of you know diversification, geographical diversification, I think will be definitely high on everybody's agenda. As will you know um, diversification from one particular outsourcer. You know, and we, we 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 know because you know we got you know inquiries from banks that you know clearly had several thousand seats either in India or in the Philippines, and and they were sort of closed down overnight. You know, but still had to deliver customer service, so they'll be very wary of that um, going forward. I, I have yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, and everybody will clearly be looking at their contingency plans and making sure they're fit for fit for purpose. You know. Do you think those contingency plans are good, kind of predominantly going to be based on, I like that phrase you used there about di- sort of diversification, whether it's geographically, how much technology is being used, where people are based, how many of them are working at home? Because I guess this has taught us that going forward, it's about mitigating risk, isn't it? And keeping an operation going, is, is, is that going to be more likely the more diverse those things are rather than them being centralized what's your what's yeah your... i think i think i think the, the current situation is driving change you know which i think is great i think you know we've all talked for a long time about you know digitalization ai automation you know and it's stuttered and stammered and you know has had you know false starts i think you know the, the very fact that you know um we've been overly reliant on people um, you know, and especially now, unfortunately, you know, we're in a situation where, you know, um, we, we're struggling with respect to that. To a degree, we're struggling with respect to that. Is therefore going to drive, drive change from a from a technology perspective? I have no doubt about that. We were already finding it, by the way. You know, yeah. that one of the clients that I've talked about in terms of that sort of movement from India back to South Africa. You know, it, it was. Back, back to your original question, which was around, you know, are the contact centres driving change? Is it the clients that are driving change? You know, the contact centre was not driving change in that particular circumstance. You know, um, we were talking about customers that were were within their own peer group, um, communicating via WhatsApp and all those sorts of channels. Yeah. But yet, outsourcer out in India was not delivering those and that method of communication for that you know for that for that for that particular for that particular those particular customers um you know for a whole range of different reasons in my opinion but um but that sort of change now i think i think you know it'll accelerate at a, at a rate of knots there's absolutely no doubt about that through necessity because you know if you just take the very fact that you know as context centers reopen if they're going to reopen at a third of capacity you know, you, you're going to have to try and communicate, hopefully, in different, easier yeah. ways. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's definitely that. I think, um, 
you know, I think as I come back to the point about the geographical locations, I, I have no doubt that, you know, uh, all the big brands and the smaller brands are looking at that strategically at this moment of time, um, you know, and, um, and, 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 you know, homeworking undoubtedly has got its place, you know, it yeah. won't be for everybody will, will have its place. So I think what we're finding in the, world of, in the world of homeworking, you know, we've got a couple of clients that are, you know, have, have, have deployed homeworking extremely effectively. You know, it's had a few hiccups and bumps in the road, but, you know, have done it very effectively. So clearly now, they're considering strategically how homeworking fits into their plans, you know, um, and, and will undoubtedly help them in terms of some of the challenges that they've got with respect to retention and attrition of agents, which was a challenge before COVID. So there were a client of ours that came to us looking for an outsourcing solution. have now gone, actually, we've deployed homeworking. Let's just take a step back for a minute and think about our strategy going forward. They've not discounted outsourcing, but, you know, they found this, you know, um, new channel in homeworking. Um, yeah, and and I think um, I think what we'll find, Martin, is that, and we're already finding it that, that the outsourcers that will be a it will be a, a solution. You know, homeworking will be a solution that they will, you know, clearly, um, you know, be, be pushing forward as an option for their clients, which I think again is great, and it just needs to be. Uh, we just need to ensure that you know it's um, predicated on security and well-being and all yeah. sorts of things. It's fascinating, Phil. Um, I would like to I'd like to end really by you know you have um, set up and run what two now large successful businesses and been successful prior to to that um, from like you say, like the majority of us who kind of fall into the, the contact centre world, but just in terms of mentorship and um, offering key bits of advice to people that are listening who may want to follow a similar path to you and set up their own, set up their own business, what, what key bits of advice would you give people if, they, if that's what, they wanted to follow the same path as you? Maybe yeah. supporting a different team, but yeah, yeah, no. I suppose you know. L- listen to your accountant. It was my accountant that told me to stay within an industry that I knew, uh, and you know, and I think I think with respect to that, you know, I've always been in a sales environment, so I've, you know, I know I know a lot of people, which I think is absolutely, you know, for me, it's been fantastic, and I've made so many friends through the world of world of outsourcing. Um, you know, whether that be clients or, you know, people that I now work with. So I think, um, you know, clear, clearly focus, focus on, um, focus, focus on something that you, uh, you, you, you've got experience of and you know something about and that you enjoy, you know, I, I fundamentally enjoy what I'm doing, you know, I think, um, and we're, and we're making a difference. I, you know, I'd like to think we're making a difference and our business mantra is win, 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 you know, we're not, you know, I'm a, a massive fan of, you know, we're doing the right thing for the client. We're finding outsources, the right clients, you know, we're those introducers that I've mentioned, you know, we're, we're working with them to ensure that the clients that they kind of recommend into CCP, are, you know, have got the best experience and we're finding them the right partner. So, you know, the whole, the whole business has got to be about, you know, it's got to be about, about win, win, win. And I guess the other thing that, you know, I've learned over the years is, um, you know, surround yourself with with great like-minded people. You know, and I'm I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm lucky to a degree, I've stumbled upon some of these folks, but, you know, there are certain people that I've been working with for 30 years, mm. you know, yeah. we're like-minded, you know, in terms of, in terms of the, the mantra of the business is that, you know, I, I'm not, my, my friends know this, I'm not a massive fan of the word consultancy, but we're, our mantra is, you know, we're doers at the end of the day. I've surrounded myself with like-minded people that are, by the way, uh, are industry experts, you know, have got grey hairs, have been there, have done it, you know, so we're not, uh, you know, um, yeah, so we've got the scars, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think just, just thoroughly enjoying what we do. We make a difference. We're in a, let's be honest, we're in a, escalated over the last few months, of course, but we're in a very dynamic change in market. Yeah. Now, this is a revolution we're in, in terms of yeah. presenters. I think it's, it's, it's a fantastic opportunity, you know, for, uh, for our industry. That's great. Phil Kitchen, uh, Director at Contact Centre Panel, thanks very much for coming on. Um, and you've shared some really interesting views and insight into the world of outsourcing. So thanks very much and hopefully speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for listening. Coming up later this week, I have a chat with Donna Elliott and Cheryl Lee. They are the two people that have set up a company called Now Is Your Time, very active on LinkedIn, do great work from a coaching perspective. Um, They predominantly aim their services at women, but I can speak from first-hand knowledge that uh, everyone benefits, myself included, and my team have benefited from their work. They're two lovely people. And they're doing some great work. I'm sure you'll you'll enjoy listening to them chat about everything they they do. Um, thanks very much, everyone. Stay safe. Yay! You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey. I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.